Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Joining me on the podcast, or actually, it's a welcome back to Last Drinks, Sarah Rusbatch. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. I want to dig into a couple of really nitty-gritty things with you. Um, I love... Uh, I guess how vocal you have been on social media. I've seen these wonderful videos of you going for your beautiful morning strolls and talking about how women are the weaker sex when it comes to drinking. And I think sometimes, you know, that's that's a tough pill to swallow for some people because it's like, well, who's the superior sex at what? But I, I totally get your point because there's more and more women, I think, um, struggling with alcohol and their relationship with alcohol and there is a physiological uh reason behind that struggle so i want to get into that and then i want to say this just before we get into the conversation um because i want to also talk about the alcohol free challenges that you run which can really help people who are in that position in life of i think i drink too much i'm not really sure it's not leaving las vegas but it certainly isn't great for me. So um, just as like a bit of a, a introduction, if the conversation we have about why alcohol affects women maybe more than men really strikes a chord with you, it might be a bit of a signpost for you to do something about that. And then like the beautiful part about what you do is you help people kind of unpack all of that. So <laughs> with that said, take it away, Sarah. <laughs> So I think the first place that I think it would be really helpful to start is by sharing a recent statistic with you. So two. So the first one is middle-aged women are the only demographic where alcohol use is going up. But I think it's no surprise, right? Because I run these programs and I would say that the majority of the women that I'm working with are are middle-aged women. So in that age bracket, and I hate it because I fall into that age bracket and I still think I'm 25. And so to call myself middle-aged is like, oh. But, you know, from kind of, I would say, late 30s to late 50s is that age group. But what we've got to look at is what are women struggling with? What's happening in their life at that point that is making them turn to alcohol in Mm. such Uh, a significant way that their alcohol use is increasing more and more. So we'll talk about that. But the other statistic that I read recently that I think is super interesting, and I'm assuming most of your listeners are in Australia, is Australia has been identified as the booziest country in the world. So when it comes to binge drinking, we are um, head and shoulders above any other country. And even the UK, where I'm from, where, you know, the binge drinking um, focus is high, Australia, Mm. hands down, is well above that. I, that is really confronting to hear. Um, I feel like the UK is a decade ahead 
in mindful drinking and non-alc uh, options. And I feel like these conversations that we're having here in Australia now started a decade ago in the UK. And it is, it's like turning a ferry around. It's a really big, long, scary, complex process. I think um, we are, it is starting to shift, but you know, the, the, the stats don't lie. You know, those numbers aren't, um, yeah, they, they just are what they are at the moment, which as someone who's sober and so passionate about helping people find their best and sober selves is uh, a really huge opportunity. Cause I'm like, well, if there's that many people feeling how I felt eight years ago, there's that many people's lives that we can change by having these conversations. So let's dig into that first statistic. Um, women in midlife are uh, the biggest binge drinkers or it's sorry, it's in, increasing. Yeah, so their alcohol consumption is going up, whereas nearly every other demographic, it's starting to go down. We're seeing that the younger generation are drinking less than we were at that age. There's more information available now about alcohol. I guess social media probably plays a part as well, because I don't know about you, Mass, but my goodness, I'm glad social media was not around when I was drinking at my heaviest, because my God, I tried to think what would have ended up going viral with um, some of my antics back then. So um yeah, I think the younger generation, they're more self-aware. They're more focused on fitness and their health and, and everything else. So the, the the interesting thing that I learned through an interview that I did with a menopause specialist recently is that for women, when we get into our late 30s, we stop producing as much of the hormone progesterone. So mm. it naturally, our progesterone starts to decline from our late 30s onwards. Progesterone is the hormone that makes us feel calm and relaxed. So progesterone is the hormone that we produce in the second stage of our cycle. And it's we release it after what may have been ovulation that's happened. And it's the part that comes, kicks in, and it wants us to retreat from the world a little bit, to relax. It's, um, yeah. it's why you might find that you you don't exercise as much in the second part of your cycle, or you don't have the same energy in the second half of your cycle. That is because of progesterone. But women start producing less of it from our late 30s onwards. What that means is when we've got less progesterone, we feel more stressed, we feel more anxious, we have trouble sleeping, we feel more on edge. We find that we start overthinking things a lot. We're less capable of just going, oh, why has my boss got like, you know, a, a funny tone in his voice today? Is he really cross with me? Instead, we'll sit there and go, oh my God, I'm about to get the sack. Oh my goodness, what have I done wrong? Like those thoughts yeah. can really start to escalate. So we've got two things going on as well, is that women at this stage in their lives are usually juggling the most. So and that's what I was going to say. I'm like, isn't that convenient? At the stage of life where, every, where shit gets so real in your late 30s and early 40s, it gets so real. You've got aging parents, you've got friends dying, you've got young kids, you've got te parent teacher nights, you've got trying to still get your pre-baby body back pressure. Like there is so much thrown at you in that season of life. And thank you so much, Mother Nature, for robbing us of the progesterone that gives us an ability to just actually go, I'm going to be okay because it, and I am absolutely guilty of over catastrophizing situations that aren't real in my brain. Totally. Totally. It's, and it's wild. Yeah. We just make up stories in our heads all the time. And the more anxious and stressed we're feeling, the more we're likely to do that. And yeah. this is the whole thing is that 
our lives have not adapted to this significant hormone change. If anything, they've gone in the other direction and it, and, and they've got more stressful. We are, um, Gabor Mate, the world's leading addiction and parenting expert, commented recently and said there has never been a, t a more difficult time to be a mother since the Second World War. God. Right? Because we are, are, are increased responsibilities at home but we're also working more hours than any other woman has before us and then we've got this whole work from home that has happened since covid but you ask any woman who's got young kids who's trying to do a conference call when the kids are knocking on the bathroom and you're locked in the toilet trying to speak to someone like the stress and the anxiety it's relentless it never stops and guess what alcohol does alcohol is a depressant so in that moment, when you're feeling stressed, wired, anxious, overwhelmed, and you just want everything to stop, alcohol does what we want it to do. That's why we mm. keep doing it. We're not stupid. We don't just keep taking something that makes us feel crap in the morning and ruins our sleep and does all of those things if it didn't also give us something. And it does. In the moment, it gives us what we want, which is it, it numbs us. It yeah, turns does. off all the voices in our heads. It makes us feel relaxed. It's um, it stops your brain working, and so and because what you know, just reflecting on my own drinking behavior, and I was very much a, like lean into drinking because my life was full of so much stress, and I remember thinking as I was be getting sober curious, I was like, what is alcohol actually doing? Because I have a drink and I definitely feel more relaxed. So there's definitely like a there's a physical reaction that my body or my brain is having where I'm like. <gasps> oh, okay, I can get through the night. And then you have a few wines and a few more and then you wake up and you feel rotten. But the situation didn't change. All that changed was my perception of the situation. And so what I found alcohol did for me was it just temporarily gave me amnesia on my life. It was like a bit of a, a bit of a pause because the next day when I woke up, none of the stress had been alleviated nothing really had changed I had just managed to like tap out temporarily which at the time was my only coping mechanism and I think there's so many busy women who are like yes that's why I drink and so for all the times that drinking does work for you the knock-on compounded detriment over time lands you in this really vulnerable space with alcohol where you're like it's giving me relief but it's also ruining my marriage it's giving me relief but it's also like i'm maybe going to lose my job because i can't i'm not i can't i can't sleep i'm eating terrible you know like it's so at some point in that haze you can have a bit of a come to jesus moment yeah like, you know Totally. But the problem is, Maz, that for most people that it's really insidious and subtle the way yes. that it starts to build up. So we yes. what started as one or two glasses just to take the edge off, just as my little sign that, oh, goodness me, it's been a stressful day. I'm going to pour a glass of wine just before I start cooking dinner. And that's my little moment of me time. What mm. starts as that quickly becomes two glasses, then three glasses, then it's the bottle. And by the time we realize that we're not happy with how our drinking is going, or when we've got to the point that it's causing anxiety, it's impacting our sleep, it's impacting our performance at work, it's impacting our marriage. By the time we've got to that point, it's really, really hard to stop because it's our only coping strategy, as you've said. And that's why all the work I do is around, we can't just take alcohol out. 
if we're going to take alcohol out, we've got to look at all the other stuff that we're adding in that's going to take alcohol's place in meeting the need that we're getting met by alcohol. And that has to be about stress relieving ways. What are we adding into our life? That means that we are not so stressed and anxious that come five or six o'clock every day, we're seeking escapism. Mm. So for someone who's listening, who's like, oh, me, 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 that's me, 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 me. And, you know, it is a really, it's an overwhelming realisation. If you have this realisation of, I think I'm drinking too much, but I have no idea what else to do to get the relief. What's your advice to someone? Like, how can they at least start that sober curiosity journey that would feel very, very overwhelming? It would feel impossible for a lot of people. I remember thinking in 2014, I remember thinking, honestly, there is not a chance in hell I can get through a whole weekend without a drink. That was a legitimate fear of mine that I I just did not feel like I could do it. It had such a hold on me. It was so normal and I was so dependent. So I know that those fears are very real. I know you've got lived experience with this as well. So what's your encouragement to people who, if this is really striking a chord for them, especially women in midlife? Yeah. And I, you know, I, I found an old journal um, a little while ago and in it I'd written my biggest goal for the week was I've got to try and have two alcohol-free days this week. Wow. Like, that was where my drinking was at. That when I wrote down my wow. goals, it was yeah. to try and have two days where I don't drink. And now, yeah, I know. And then this month sees me celebrate four years sober. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a big one. And I just yeah. wanted to add one other thing because there was just before we move on to um, the, the how do you start, something else that I've read recently that I think is really important for women to understand is that another impact of midlife, right? When we start to get to this age from late 30s onwards, our liver starts to shrink in volume. So it starts to shrink in volume by one to two percent a year. And this can over time shrink by 20 to 30 percent, some in some women up to 40 percent. Wow. I know who we no one talks about this, I right? Had, I didn't know that I had a shrinking liver. Totally. You have a shrinking liver, Maz. And what that means is your body cannot metabolize alcohol in the way that it did when you were younger. So this is why we get worse hangovers as we get older because more alcohol enters the bloodstream because it can't be metabolized by the alcohol in the menopause years women are twice as likely to develop alcohol related liver disease than men and this is why but no one talks about this no one has mentioned that i didn't get that memo that's really fascinating and that does actually make a lot of sense now that you say it because one of the biggest complaints i hear from people who are like oh i think i drink too much is like I feel like I want to stop because my hangovers are rotten and go for like two or three days. Like the hangovers in your early 40s from excessive alcohol use are so, seem so much worse, but they, they actually are. They actually are. because, yeah. And this is why women are, we become addicted and dependent on alcohol faster than men. And we are more prone to alcohol-related diseases than men because regardless of that fact about the shrinking liver, women produce less of the enzyme alcohol dehydrogenase, which is the enzyme that breaks down alcohol. We actually have less of it, which is what comes back to what we've talked about, why women are the weaker sex when it comes to alcohol. We yeah. cannot metabolize alcohol in the way that men do. We just can't. Yes. And then on top of that, we've got the shrinking liver that starts to shrink from late 30s onwards as well. 
I think most people would not be blown out of the water by the realization that women cannot drink as much as men. It's just you you hang out with a group of friends in a social setting and the the two pot screamers are usually the chicks in the group. It's just yeah. it just is you know, it's the way that we're built, which, you know, again, like a conversation that isn't had enough is like, we're not built to drink. Yeah. As women, it is not it, it, like we, our bodies were not built to consume that poison. Yet it is marketed in pretty pink bottles and we are told that we deserve it and that we need it and that it's where all of our worries will, you know, go away. And it's just, it drives me insane to think yeah. that that is it's just it's such a false narrative because it is so destructive especially for women and and i'm grateful for people like you who are changing the narrative by actually doing research i know you're so passionate about this and you're very very smart sarah and i love that every time we talk you have like you know empirical studies and it's science backed and and you're going to the source of real data and that is how we can turn this around because if if women just knew we weren't designed to be booze hounds, there's a start, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's the thing is you can't argue with facts. You can argue no. with opinions, but you can't argue with facts. And that's yeah. why I'm very careful. Yes, I will state my opinion, but I will also state when something is fact. I read something about the the year that the alcohol industry decided to deliberately start targeting women because they weren't making enough money from um, sales of alcohol to women. So they started to deliberately target women with different packaging, with different mm. messaging. They broke up the segment of their marketing. So they were just going specific for women. And in correlation with that, the amount of women ending up in the um, liver ward in hospitals started to increase. Of course it did. When you yeah. start marketing something yeah. specific to, to women that causes liver disease, then they're going to start buying more of it because marketing works and they spend Oh, here's another stat for you. $7 billion in the US alone is the amount that is going to be spent this year on marketing of alcohol. $7 billion. I know. Absolutely outrageous. I know. But it, it's an industry. This is the other thing, right? Big alcohol, it is a beast and it is a beast that has been around it has gotten its like claws in our generation specifically and it is oh god it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of work but I do think you know when you look about you when you look back at the tobacco industry and how Mm. that has come under such reform and 20 years ago you know it wouldn't be that weird if you had a pack of alpine lights in your handbag because you go and smoke a few durries now I feel like the general consensus on smoking is that it's pretty dumb and you, and that you can't smoke in inside. You can't, you, there's, there, you are segregated out of society now if you are a smoker. Um, and the effect that nicotine has on our body, alcohol has a very similar, it's a carcinogen. It causes cancer in our bodies. It's not yeah. designed to be consumed by us. And so that did turn, that has turned around. I know people still smoke. There is still a tobacco industry, but it's very different now. Like that, you you can't go to the you know the Woolies counter and see cigarettes. Everything's put away. Totally. You know? Like it, yeah. it's so different. There's really clear warning labels that smoking kills. The types of diseases that it causes and is responsible for. Right. And I feel like alcohol will get there the big alcohol industry i think is going to has to be the next industry that comes 
under those big reforms. And I think, you know, then we're talking about lobbying and the governments and then all of the tax cuts. Like it's a whole big mess, but I think it it, it will get there. It yeah. has to, right? Well, you'd think so. But goodness me, Matt. So in 2019, the Lancet Journal did a study and they um, categorised alcohol in the same carcinogenic category as tobacco. Yes. So it is a cancer causing. Yeah. I have read that journal. um, I quoted in my book. Yeah. Um, that is that is the study. That's the pivotal study. But you know, what's really interesting about that, Sarah, I did a bit of back study on that. And um. The World Health Organization in the early 2000s listed alcohol as an A1 carcinogen in humans. We just, like, no one got that memo for about 20 years. Isn't that amazing? So, like, a very long time ago, it was stated, hey, this substance, not great in humans. But, like, it's just been swept under the rug for so long. But I think the Lancet is the really big study that uh, uh, somehow has come to light, which is a good thing. That yeah. says it is a carcinogen, which means it is a cancer-causing substance. So that means if you ingest it, it will increase your risk of cancer, end of conversation. And yeah. so then when you think about, oh, but it relaxes me and it helps me, you know, deal with my stress, like, but it's also increasing your cancer risk. So let's find another way to deal with your stress. Yeah? Exactly. And that's you know, going back to your question of how do you start and what do you do at the beginning? It is starting with just asking yourself, well, being honest about how much you're drinking, mm-hmm. start there. Um, ask yourself the question, how do I feel about taking a month off alcohol? And if the thought of that is I can't do it, you really need to, because you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. for people that don't have a problem with booze would just be like, Oh, yeah, Whatever. that's fine. I'll take a month yeah. off if you want me to. People that yeah. have a problem with booze will sit there with horror going, oh, but I've got my friend's 40th birthday and I've got that wedding and it's my birthday and I'm going on holiday. And we start reeling off all the reasons that we cannot possibly take a month off booze. And so ask yourself some of those hard questions. Start reading the books, like your book's um, coming out soon or, or it's just out already. And, and start you know, getting to know what are the facts about mm. alcohol so that you are not just a pawn in big alcohol's numbers game of trying yeah. to increase their sales without a, a giving an absolute crap about whether people are, are getting sick as a result of it. So start yeah. with asking yourself those questions, start reading the books, listening to the podcasts. And then it's about, okay, so what's your next step? And the, and yeah. the reason I run the challenges that I run is, is because there is so much power in knowing you're not alone. There was so I'm running one at the moment and we had our first Zoom on Saturday and I've got all of these women together. There's over 300 women and they're all coming together. And the number one thing that they say to me is, I thought it was just me. I thought it was like I had this dirty secret that I was just keeping from other people. But to come into a group where everyone is so open and honest and they're all you know sharing their stories just helps women go, oh, my goodness. This is everywhere. It is not just me. And there is comfort in that. And there is support in that. Absolutely. And I want to say on, on the, on the month off challenge thing, because this is, this is something that we've sort of um, talked about before, Sarah, and I love your alcohol free challenges because, um, and also I do like a 30 day circuit breaker plan in my book. And what, what we are doing is setting people up to discover their sober self, right? So we are um, guiding people through big questions like, 
What's your relationship like with alcohol? Why do you think you want to stop? Why do you drink? Why do you drink so much? You know, and we're really um, helping people go through a self-assessment with their relationship with alcohol to recalibrate it to a point where it's not having a negative impact on them. That is a really different experience to taking a month of alcohol to prove to yourself that you don't have a drinking problem. And I think the difference is it's still a month of alcohol and any month of alcohol, I encourage anybody to take. Like I'm all for having a break, but you, your intention at the beginning of the month, if it's not about discovering your sober self, I can guarantee you, you'll have a month of alcohol, you will white knuckle it and on, on the, at the end of it, on the 32nd day or the 31st, whenever it ends, you will probably go and drink again because all you did was prove that you didn't have a big enough problem to need to stop for longer than the month. And I, so what I, my encouragement to people is if you're going to have a month off, do it with support, do it with a strategy and an intention and do it with someone who has done it before so that they can guide you through the roadblocks, the speed bumps and the big stuff that you face. You take a month of alcohol and you're probably going to deal with some stuff that you haven't dealt with, which is probably why you drink in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. And I think that that's the difference. Like I used to take breaks all the time. I was the yes. queen of taking breaks. And that's what grey area drinkers do. Grey area drinkers can stop. They just can't stay stopped. And so grey area drinkers, they take a break. And I would go a month, sometimes three months. And I'd be like, this time I'm fixed. This time I'll be able to moderate. And then I would, I, but, but what I would do in that month was I didn't do any of the work on myself. And that's mm -hmm. what I bring about in my challenges is the work that we have to do to really start to create change with our drinking. So I would cross the days off. I yeah. would probably not go out that much because I was like, well, what's the point of going out if I can't get pissed? I would sit at home and just eat chocolate and watch movies and go hashtag counting down the days. And then I would get to the first of the next month. I would plan a huge night. I would go and get pissed with the full confidence and joy that I didn't have a problem because if I had a problem, I wouldn't have been able to take a month off. And that was my life for years. And so then it always came as a surprise to me of going, but why can't I moderate now? Why do I still get the most drunk at the party? Why am I still drinking on a Monday when I promised myself I wasn't allowed to drink on a Monday? Why, why, why? And I didn't know the answers, but now I do. And now I fully understand the role that alcohol was playing in my neural pathways, in my nervous system, in terms of like why it helped me to feel less stress. And then it became about the work. It became a going, mm -hmm. I've got to take responsibility for my life. And if I have a life that I want to escape from at five o'clock every day, then it's my job to create a life that I don't want to escape from anymore. And that is what I support my clients to do. I love that too, because that's taking a big accountability, you know, like it's, it's really easy to blame the alcohol or certainly in accounts or whoever bought you the shot or the round or invite, you know, it's so easy to just say no, but it's because whenever I'm with them, they make me really drunk. You know, it, it's really easy to pass blame elsewhere, but to actually sit in the accountability of, you know what, this is the sum total of my choices and here we are and this is shit. So it's up to me to do something about it. And, you know, instead of spiralling into the, oh, this is the sum total of my choices and I'm not good with this, again, it's flicking that switch and, you know, flipping the puzzle pieces over and going, here lies the opportunity. Here yeah. now I can acknowledge this is where I'm at and I can move 
past this, you know, or I don't like to say dig yourself out of the barrel because sometimes for people it's not about hitting a rock bottom, it's just about making a new choice. It's just about a crossroads and a line in the sand and that feels much more easier, I think, for people to think about drawing a line in the sand and taking one step rather than clawing themselves out of this deep, dark hole Um, because sobriety is one step at a time. Yeah. Uh, it is, and it is a slow burn, you know, it's a slow burn. And even after eight years in sobriety, I'm still finding out fun stuff about myself. Totally. And by fun, I mean, I have a therapist, guys. Me too. <laughs> Who doesn't? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of nuts and, but I'm sober and nuts. And so that's kind of okay. Because <laughs> at least yeah. I'm willing to sit in my stuff and go, you know, here I am and I, I want to take it all on and I, I want to be my best and sober self and show up and do the, you know, do the work on me. For me, it's to help others, but you don't always have to have an agenda like that. You know, it's okay to just want to be better for yourself. I think that's a really important message to give people too. You don't have to take the world on in your sobriety. You can just get sober just because you love yourself. You know, totally. And that, you know, going back to what you were saying before, I had such a victim mentality when I was drinking, but they don't understand. I've got no parents here to help with the kids. So my life Mm. is harder and I deserve this wine. And when we remove alcohol, we just step out of that victim place and we Mm. start to kind of really see, well, this is my life. And alcohol is taken from my life. I am not the mum I want to be. I am not the friend I want to be. I don't Mm. feel happy and joyful when I wake up in the morning. I wake up with this overarching feeling of I'm a shit person who drank too much again last night and I hate Mm. myself for it. And waking up feeling like that every frigging morning is not pleasant and that's not a life. And in the Mm. end, it just got to that point of going, I want to have a truly wonderful, incredible, interesting, exciting experience for this short time that I'm on this planet and alcohol is robbing me of that. Yeah, amen, sister. I... God, I love you. (laughs) Can you quickly tell me about your next challenge? Um, Like I said, if this has struck a chord with someone, where they can sign up um, and what they, you know, like what, just give me a little synopsis for people who haven't really heard about what you do. So I run these challenges um, four times a year. So the next one will be running in July. And, you know, some people might go, oh, but why would I pay to do a challenge with you when every person in Australia is taking a month off in July I could just take it off with them anyway and this goes back to what you and I were talking about before you can take a month off and you can cross off the days and you can sit at home and eat chocolate on the sofa and nothing changes the difference with working with me is you get my support you get the accountability you get the connection of the the incredible other women in the group but more than that you get the resources you get the education and you get the strategies and every day I show up live and every day you get to connect with me in some way and I will guide you through understanding how to create habit change at 5 p.m so you're not reaching for wine why moderation Mm -hmm. doesn't work for so many of us why for so many of us we've just been sat at home on the sofa getting these big dopamine hits and it's made us lazy and we've actually got to start looking for the what we're going to add into our life so that we don't need or crave the alcohol anymore so it's a month that will completely change your mindset around alcohol and that is what creates long-term change i love it so much um i will put your website and sign up links in the show notes of this podcast episode i absolutely know this is speaking to people you know i just and i just love i really appreciate how much research you do 
Um, and sharing that information is so valuable, Sarah. I learned something today. Like I didn't know that my liver was shrinking, um, but it's so, I just thought I was shrinking. <laughs> I wish I was shrinking. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, quick, quick story. So this was a while ago now. I went um, and had like a Dexter body scan and the doctor was like, how tall are you? And I was like, I'm 157 centimetres. I have been ever since I was like 18. And she was like, let's just measure you anyway. And I was 155 centimetres. And I was like, oh, my God, it started. And I got home and my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he was like, how did the Dexter scan go? And I was, he just looked at me and he goes, oh, no, like, have you got like a really high BMI? And I was like, no. I'm shrinking. <laughs> like he thought that like my fat percentage was like higher than, and I was like, I don't even care about the body fat. I'm actually small. In the <laughs> oh my goodness. It's, yeah. it's happening already. Oh, anyway. Um, oh, thank you. Funny. Thank you. Thank you. I love what you do. Um, I am, would love to jump in on the July challenge and do as I did for the January one, do like a, q and I love um, connecting with your ladies. They're so just vulnerable and open and beautiful. So keep doing what you're doing. You certainly left an impression in the January challenge. They adored you, Maz, and they loved our talk. And um, a few of them were quite starstruck by you. And by, they, they've been watching you since they were girl kids and TV. So they were like, oh, it's Maz, it's Maz. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, love. Take care. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.